0: This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. I invite you to take your Bible. Would you join me this morning in Zechariah's prophecy, the 12th chapter, Zechariah 12. Zechariah Malachi, if that helps you. Second book from the end in our Old Testament. Our nation has been through some pretty difficult time. From 1860 to 1865, our nation went through a great civil war. Nothing can compare to that time, including the wars that we've been in. The other wars we've been in certainly can't compare to what happened at Pearl Harbor or at 9 11 or the incident recently at the Capitol, though those were tragic things that happened as well. But at the center of what happened during the Civil War was a slender, Towards the end of his presidency, a gaunt-looking individual, we know him as Abraham Lincoln. It took a toll physically on him, and then at the end, it took his life. If you ever have the chance to visit Springfield, Illinois, take time to go to the Lincoln Museum. It's a fascinating place, but as you work your way through the museum, when you come to the end, there is a solemn room that is as an exact replica as they can make it of where President Lincoln, Lion State, as thousands came by to pay tribute to him. There's music playing that just adds to the atmosphere. And if you know history at all, it will move you. But there are also pictures that were taken at that very time, so you can see the actual room, you can see where he was laying in that casket. One of the sobering things about that, as soldiers stood guard and people passed, you could still see the head wound where he was shot during that visit to Ford's Theater. And it's a solemn place because it reminds you and and reminds me, if you visit there, of the freedom that was won as God used that man. The Union was saved. At the same time, uh, they estimate that there were around 4 million slaves in the South that were freed. And so he paid a price. And it moves you to stand there and to look at what now is just a casket on display. But 2,000 years ago, the Son of God, the God-man, hung on a cross, and in full display, he bled and he died. And there were five wounds, as we sang this morning, five wounds that clearly indicated his suffering, Uh, and then he died. Today we need to see in Scripture that viewing Jesus on his cross is to have the effect of moving us to repentance, saving faith, and unending gratitude for the one who died there and was pierced, literally pierced, for us. Now, Catholicism has messed a lot of things up, and I I hope I don't offend anybody by saying that. That is false doctrine. So much of it. That tradition is not theology that you'll find in the Bible. A lot of it. And they have the crucifix, and there's Christ hanging on the cross. And as Christians, we would prefer to look at an empty cross, uh, a bare cross, and an empty tomb, right? I mean, that's, that's where his work was completed. You can't have just one, you need both. At the same time, we still need to look at the suffering Savior on the cross. And so when we do that, God uses that in our lives. He wants to use that as we look into the pages of Scripture. He wants to use that to draw us to a right relationship with himself. Now, various songwriters have worked to emphasize this truth. One songwriter asked this, were you there when they crucified my Lord? Oh, somehow it causes me to tremble. Yeah, it ought to impact us. Ron Hamilton wrote in his hymn, come to the cross upon Calvary. He says this, gaze on the scene anew, then let it have this effect. Turn from your sin to the Savior, there Jesus waits for you. Now, I'm so glad I don't serve a dead Savior today. He is not on the cross. Uh, he went to a tomb three days later. He walked out victorious of his own volition. He lives today. And yet, he died, providing a great sacrifice for us. So let's gaze on the scene again. and In a preparation for the Lord's table, and, and, and trusting that the Lord will use this truth to change us, Let's gaze on that scene. See what the soldiers and the Jews that had gathered there in Jerusalem, what they saw in those hours as they looked at the Lamb of God on the cross. Let the scene produce in you what the prophet Zechariah predicted would ultimately happen with the Jewish nation as a whole. I've entitled the message today, A Saving Look at Jesus' Cross a saving look at Jesus' cross. Now, there were many who looked at the cross. They weren't saved. They mocked. They scoffed. They beat their chests and then went home. But there are those that looked, and it changed them. Some immediately, and then there were others, that after Peter preaches at Pentecost, they had seen, and what they saw stayed with them, and we'll we'll be reminded that God used it To bring salvation to their lives. So let's begin by examining the prediction God made through Zechariah. You're in chapter 12. Look at verses 9 and 10. 9 and 10. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. This is a great prediction. A great prediction. Again, look at verse 9. It shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. Now this is the Lord's response to the nations that will march against Jerusalem one day. And that day is actually described for us in Revelation chapters 16 and chapter 19. There is coming a great battle called Armageddon. The nations of earth at the end of the great tribulation will send their armies and they'll pour into, and the way the geography is set up there, they will pour into the valley of Megiddo, uh, known as Armageddon, and that's where they'll meet King Jesus. And they won't live to remember it, except in eternal damnation in hell. This event will lead to what is predicted next. All right, so that's happening, but verse 10 says, And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem. It will be the result of the threat, but it will also be a preparing that has been happening through the tribulation to turn the hearts of Israel to the Lord. You know there's going to be an Antichrist. He's going to make a covenant with them. He's going to break that. Halfway through the tribulation, the time of Jacob's trouble. He will seek to annihilate the Jews. And yet at the same time, the Lord sends out 144,000 Jewish missionaries. And they're witnessing all over the earth. They're also witnessing in Israel. And in fact, God also sends two witnesses. We know the Antichrist will ultimately overcome them. It'll be published publicized all over the world. And cable TV will help with that. So they will have had the truth. It, it will uh, be something that's continued to resonate and, and try to enter their hearts. And then the world will turn against them, send their armies. And all, I believe all of that together, the Spirit of God will use to fulfill verse 10. So, as the Lord promises to destroy the nations that have turned against Him, He also promises here to intervene on behalf of His nation at the time when these armies seek to destroy her. The divine intervention will be a spiritual reviving. Continue to look at the text now, in which the Spirit of grace and supplications, the Spirit who gives grace, will pour out these blessings on what is left of the nation. And so the Holy Spirit will draw them with grace to a place of repentance and mournful prayer where they cry out to the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And the nation, what's left, will be saved. A national revival. You know, that's never happened in history. But it will happen in prediction from Zechariah, what he shared. So what does their repentance look like? Continue to read on. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. And they will finally look on him for salvation. And they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son. So let's pause here. When you hear those words spoken from the Father, does your heart turn to thoughts about the fact that God knows that morning? Think about that. He says this, but he himself experienced it. One son gave that son, and what happened when he got here? We killed him. He came to die for our sin. Does the father understand the mourning of a father for his firstborn? Oh, yeah. Sure, he does. That should not escape us. Read on. And they shall be in bitterness, weep in grievous mourning for him, as one that is in bitterness for, and here, the loss of his firstborn. So as the Lord is destroying the nations who have ultimately rejected Him, rejected His people, He is also drawing, He's destroying at the same time, He's drawing what is left of His chosen nation to repentance and salvation. Yes, at the end of the Great Tribulation, the Jews will be at the verge of annihilation, extinction. But the Spirit's pouring out of grace will cause them to believe on Jesus whom their nation pierced, and they will repent and be saved. In fact, we know from Isaiah's prophecy that it will be during the millennium. We saw this in a recent study. During the millennium, Isaiah predicts that Israel will be the missionary nation on earth. They're the ones that are going to be proclaiming and nations will be coming to Jerusalem to see the king and they'll be proclaiming salvation through him. So this is the Lord's prediction through Zechariah and something that only divine eyes could see in the prophet's day. Did Zechariah understand what he was predicting? Not fully, when he got to heaven, did he, did he learn it? Did, yes, sure. But, but he's predicting things that he could not understand. But here's what God understood. God sees the whole thing. This was his great plan. So this is the prediction. Now let's consider the amazing fulfillment. All right? Let's consider the amazing fulfillment. Now Let me, let me just pause here and let's, let's have a little Bible lesson together. When you look at the predictions, the prophecies that God makes in the Old Testament that were fulfilled in Christ, here's something you have to understand. That the Lord will continue to fulfill His predictions literally, just as He did, looking at the Old Testament and their fulfillment in Christ. That's very important and you need to have a right biblical hermeneutic to continue to interpret that way. There are some that get into the New Testament then, stop interpreting literally and start thinking, well, instead of God literally doing what he said he would do, now we need to allegorize it and, and, and all kinds of things happen. No. So when the scripture says, when, Jesus, when the angels say, this same Jesus, as you saw him go up in it, you know what? He's coming back again. Same way. Same way. And the prophecies in the New Testament are going to be fulfilled the same way as they were in the Old Testament. There's going to be literal fulfillment of those. So, the fulfillment. The fulfillment of this prophecy is threefold. If you're taking notes, let me encourage you to, to just jot these down. There's a future fulfillment, we've already alluded to it. There was a fulfillment at Calvary, and then there is an immediate fulfillment. Let's talk about the future fulfillment. Take your Bibles and turn over to Revelation chapter 1. Once again, it's it's easy to find these fulfillments because in the scripture, the writer in the New Testament will quote the Old Testament prophet. He'll quote the Lord. And that's what happens here in Revelation 1. Notice verse 7. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, And they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him, even so, Amen. There's your future fulfillment. All right, what's that talking about? We know that this prediction is future because of what John the Apostle writes in this verse Behold, he cometh, it's future tense with clouds. It's not something that happened previously in John's life, anything with the Lord that he had experienced. He cometh. This is yet to happen. The idea is that he compels the clouds. He cometh with clouds. He compels the clouds to accompany him. That's that's what it's speaking of here. This may be the clouds on earth, but also the clouds in heaven that John sees around the throne. The Hebrew thought... Uh, or in Hebrew thought, clouds also are commonly associated with the divine presence. Right, God made the clouds, and he, you know, the pillar of fire by day, and, and, uh, and, or a uh, pillar of cloud by day. Uh, he controls all that, and it's part of His majesty. That's the reference here. Daniel the prophet literally saw clouds accompany the Son of Man in Daniel 7 and verse 13. Now look back at Revelation 1.7 again, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him. Now thinking about Isaiah's, I'm sorry, Zechariah's prophecy. Who are those who witnessed that? The inhabitants of Jerusalem, the house of David, where, where it's prophesied, I, my spirit will pour grace on them. So this is a reference to the nation, the descendants of the nation that put Christ to death. Reading on, And all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him, even so. Amen. So there is a Jewish reference here. The nation whose father slew the Lord of glory will once again look on the Christ as Zechariah predicted. At the same time, because of Messiah's coming and his rescue work, Again, his victory at Armageddon. And then there is going to be the destruction of those who have, uh, there's a resurrection, those who have not believed on him. They're resurrected to damnation because only believers will go into the millennium. Okay, Because of Messiah's rescue work, the Jews are spared, but the nations that turned against God and his people, they will be destroyed. So all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of Him. You don't want to be on the wrong side of that equation. You need to know Christ as Savior. And John says, "Amen, this is true. So be it. The veil will finally be lifted from the eyes of the Jewish people, and they will believe that Jesus is Lord of the glory of God, the Father. That's the future fulfillment. Isn't that great? What he's going to do. We're going to have front row seats. But along with the future fulfillment, there is also the Calvary fulfillment. The Calvary fulfillment. Let's see how this happened. Turn to John 19. John's account of the crucifixion. Now I want to begin the reading in verse 31. John 19:31, and the Jews, therefore, because it was the preparation that the body should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day, for that Sabbath day was an high day, besought Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Then came the soldiers and brake the legs of the first and of the other, which was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they broke not his legs. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and wherewith came there out blood and water. And he that saw it bare record. Who's that? It's the author. That's John. He's watching this. And his record is true. And he knoweth that he saith true, that, he, that ye might. And What's the next word, by the way? Believe. Keep that in mind. That is so important. For these things were done that the scriptures might be fulfilled. A bone of him was not, uh, shall not be broken. And again, another scripture saith. All right, here's where we arrive at what Zechariah has said. They shall look on him whom they pierce. The Calvary fulfillment. How do we know? John quotes Zechariah right here to say this was fulfilled. Now there's an important backdrop to these events. One that many will overlook when they read the account, the various accounts of the cross. Let me just share with you. You might want to write in a cross reference. Matthew 27 verses 35 and 36. Here's what they say. And they crucified him. And parted his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. Alright, so one fulfillment of prophecy after another. But then Matthew says this, And sitting down, they watched him there. They looked on him. He's going to be pierced. They're watching. They're taking all of this in. And what we find happening at the foot of the cross is this crowd, that they were blaspheming the, the name of the Lord. They were saying all these things, uh, ridiculing the thieves on either side were even involved. That by the time of their the end of their watching, the whole mood has changed. The Lord sends darkness. There's an earthquake people who were mocking the Savior, they're not doing it anymore. In fact, when it's all done, not everybody leaves believing. In fact, most leave not believing, but the Bible says that they're smiting their chest. There is something that's happening in their hearts. I believe it's fulfillment of what Zechariah was talking about. Now, there is an actual Testimony of someone there at the cross where what he was viewing, it did make a change. And of all people, it's the centurion overseeing affairs at Golgotha. He is the commanding officer. And what did he say before the work there is done? Truly, this one was the Son of God. So, the, the piercing, all that happened there, the, the CO of everybody, the CO, the grace works in his life. Now, again, it's not the only one because there's one of the two thieves who also repents and believes on the Lord and you're going to get to meet him in heaven someday. So the fulfillment starts to happen right there. The Calvary fulfillment. But th- That's not all. Did this all have an impact as they looked on Jesus? Turn now to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. This is powerful. Acts chapter 2. Notice verse 36. Remember, this is right at, right at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit has come on the believers who are waiting in, uh, for that promise. And when things begin to happen, things start to happen on the Temple Mount. The Jews are rushing in there wondering, what, what, what is going on here? Peter stands up and he starts preaching. And in verse 36, here's what he says to them. Now, here's an invitation for you, you preachers. Okay? Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, you you pierced him, you nailed him to a cross, both Lord and Christ. All right, you're guilty, you slew the Messiah. And the Holy Spirit, who had just been given, then pours out on the listeners the spirit of grace and supplications. What happens? Look at verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in the heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? There's nobody out there saying, it wasn't me. I I wasn't out there. A lot of them were out there. They're not denying it. What shall we do? They had seen. And now the Spirit of grace starts being poured out as the Holy Spirit works. Peter then admonishes them to repent for the remissions of sin, verse 38. And the Bible tells us, verse 41, that about 3,000, gladly received. They believed on Christ and were saved. Is that a fulfillment? Sure it is. It sure is. So a future fulfillment. The fulfillment at Calvary, but let's close now. There's an immediate fulfillment. Whether the Jews that were saved after hearing Peter's preaching at Pentecost or the Jews that will be uh, saved at Christ's second coming to earth Or Jews and Gentiles hearing the gospel, including this message. These things are written for a singular purpose. What is that purpose? So we're going to go back just a few pages now. In fact, probably just one page in your Bible. Go to John chapter 20. John 20 and notice verse 30. And many other signs did Jesus in the presence of his disciples which are not written in the book. One of the exciting things about heaven and eternity is we'll get to learn about the other things Jesus said and did. That'd be great. So John references those things, but then he says this, but these are written. The record about what happened at Calvary. The fulfillment of prophecies, but these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through His name. So we looked at an Old Testament prediction this morning and we've seen how it was fulfilled at the time of Christ. The prediction of how it will be fulfilled in the future. And by the way, because Jesus has already fulfilled part of that prediction, you can bank on the fact he's going to fulfill the rest of it. Don't you dare doubt that. But here's the other part we can look to the cross, gaze on that scene, and as we gaze there and as we meditate on what God did for us through his Son. Spirit of God brings grace in and immediately people sitting right here today if you have not trusted Christ as Savior if you look and believe right now you can be the fulfillment and be saved. You don't have to wait. And by the way, based on some of this other stuff you don't want to wait. You don't want to wait. Now's the accepted time. Now's the day of salvation. Jesus is coming back. You have got to be ready. The Old Testament tells us of a time when the children of Israel were complaining. They were murmuring. God had been faithful, but they disregarded his faithfulness. And God had had enough, and he sends fiery serpents, poisonous snakes into the camp. People are being bitten. People are dying. What a picture of sin, by the way. And so God instructs Moses, as the children of Israel start to say to Moses, would you cry out to God for us? God says to Moses, you make a brazen serpent, put it on a pole, lift that up, and if people will come to that and look on the serpent on the pole, I'll heal them, I'll save them. No doubt in that day there were those that say, that's ridiculous. Yeah, I'll I'll find a doctor. I'll figure this out, whatever. I'm not going to go look at that. But for those that would look, they would live. And what did that picture? What Zechariah was prophesying. Jesus would be lifted up. And by, though, by being lifted up and those that would look to Him, He draws all men to Himself. So, would you put your trust in Him today? Let's bow our heads, close our eyes. Listening friend, if you ever looked at Christ on His cross and believed that He was pierced in His hands, His feet, His side, because your sin required that sacrifice, have you ever looked and believed? Have you acknowledged that you are guilty before Him? And have you believed on Him alone for salvation? Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, please visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We encourage you to share this message with others. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened and God's Word has had an impact on your life as together we strive to show forth the path of life.